Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and this is the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Hey family, it's Thursday, so you know it's time for another Smoking Hot Confession. This is episode 12 of season 2, Living the Dream. In this season, I'll be chatting with some of the most successful barbecue entrepreneurs out there about the different types of businesses you can get into and what it takes to be successful. How did you get into barbecue? Were you born with the knowledge? I know there are some barbecue cooks out there who I would swear were born with it in their DNA. The rest of us mere mortals have to learn it, and there are two ways to go about it. One is to buy a bunch of books and watch countless hours of videos, or you can take a shortcut and go take some classes. In today's episode of the podcast, I chat with Ricky from Bully Barbecue, a traveling barbecue school that will be undoubtedly hitting a city near you soon. We talk to Ricky about how he got into barbecue, why he moved into teaching barbecue, and he breaks down what he does and how he does it. This will hopefully inspire those of you who are thinking about doing some lessons of your own. So grab yourself a shiny smoked chicken breast and something to drink, and let's get into this episode. This is the Smoking Hot Confessions Podcast with barbecue pitmaster Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? Support for this episode comes from Harvey's Kitchen. Harnessing over 25 years experience in commercial kitchens and catering, Harvey's has a burning passion for food and they make amazing barbecue flavor easy to achieve for all levels of barbecue. Their entire product range is handcrafted locally in Brisbane from quality ingredients and they've gone out of their way to make their products easy to use with simple features like resealable bags. I've played around with their butcher's box and have found their preservative, gluten and dairy free rubs and sauces to be top notch stuff. The butcher's box has 9 rubs and 6 sauces in it. I love the ginger citrus salt on chicken wings and the hop and habanero hot sauce on everything. Right now, Harvey's is offering Smoking Hot Confessions listeners an exclusive 20% discount. Yes, 20%. All you need to do is head on over to harveyskitchen.com.au and use the code word CONFESSIONS to get your hands on some today. Once again, head over to harveyskitchen.com.au and use the code word CONFESSIONS at checkout for 20% off your order. G'day, Ricky, and welcome to The Confessional, my friend. The very first thing I have to ask you after uh, you've uh, kindly come and given me so much time today, what was the last thing that you barbecued? Uh, ooh, what was the last thing I barbecued? I did some lamb ribs on Sunday, actually. So, yeah, that was the last thing. Ooh, I love some lamb ribs. How do you like to do them? Oh, I normally just smoke them for a couple of hours, and then uh, yeah, I trim I trim the fat off these ones. So yeah, if I, if I don't trim the fat off, I normally kind of sear them at the end. But yeah, I trim them off. So yeah, just a pretty simple rub, kind of mainly a salt and pepper based rub, and uh, yeah, smoke them for about three hours, I think it was, and away we went. And do you prefer to do them in in racks or singles? Because I can get them uh, either way here on the Gold Coast. So I just uh, just curious how you'd go about it. Yeah, I normally just do it in the whole, like the whole slab of ribs, I guess, just because it's easier. Um, but yeah, every now and then, if the butchers already cut them up into singles, then they're, you know, they're just as good. You can sort of, you know, you can get the flavour all around them, which is awesome and I like. But uh, way too much work for me uh, getting it pressed like that when I'm uh, being lazy on the weekend. So yeah, I'll just do it in the whole rack and then um, sort of slice them to serve. Yeah, it does get a little bit fiddly there, doesn't it? When they're in when they're in singles because they're so uh, so small. 
Yeah, yeah, I normally, uh, it's kind of, I don't know, when I'm doing a couple, I normally like to, it's a lot easier to sort of move around the barbecue or play with when they're all in the one one rack, I guess. Yeah. So, mate, how many barbecues do you own and what do you uh, cook on when you're cooking for your family at home? Oh, good question. So, I literally, well, for the, my missus has been on to me for ages, <laughs> so I, uh, I actually sold one of my, my barbecues. So I think that puts me down to, I've got 11 now. I did have 12 and now I've got 11, uh, which is still a bit crazy, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's what I do. So in terms of what I cook on the most, I guess, is um, probably I use the good one, Marshall, uh, most of the time for all my, my smoking and charcoal stuff, whether I like low and slow or kind of direct over charcoal. And then I do have a Weber Genesis that I use a bit most of the time through the week. Um, I'm obviously mad into the charcoal, but I'm uh, I'm not against gas barbecues or anything, if you get me. So um, I'll still use the Weber Genesis a bit through the week. But, um, yeah, probably the good one, Marshall, probably gets the biggest workout at the household, I'd say. All righty. And so just to be clear, the the good one, that's the model name, is it? Uh, that's a brand. So that's kind of like as in, you know, Weber or the brand's good one. And then Marshall is the, the model name, I guess you'd say, yeah. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. So just going back to what you said before, you had to sell one of your barbecues. Which one took one for the team and how did you decide? <laughs> well... <laughs> I think my missus has nearly decided for us, but uh, I had a little, uh, what are they called? The Ziggler and Brown. So kind of like the Weber Babycues or whatever, but the Ziggler brand. The the, uh, the little Ziggy? Yeah, yeah, the little Ziggy. And in uh, in fairness, we haven't used it for ages because um, I've got like the little Weber charcoal go anywhere, which we use if we go camping or anything. So I don't, I don't use the... The Ziggy at all, and yeah, as I said, I got the Weber Genesis. Um, out, you know, if we ever use gas during the week, so the missus came home and said, "Oh, there's a girl at work that wants a barbecue." So I said she could have the the Ziggy. I was like, "Oh, what are you talking about?" But like, you haven't used it in bed for a year and a half, so it's got to go. I was like, "Oh, okay." I let I let her have that one. <laughs> <laughs> I take it that you weren't quite brave enough then to point to the pair of shoes sitting in the wardrobe for a year and a half that haven't been worn and said, "Well." <laughs> <laughs> I uh, well, I think we actually did a count one day, and I had more more barbecues than the missus had shoes. So I uh, I tried to use that excuse, and uh, yeah, she kind of uh, proved me wrong on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like you well and truly lost that one, right? Yeah, I, I did. Yeah, but uh, that's all right. I gave her one win with the Ziggy, so that means that the others are off bound for at least another five years. <laughs> that's what it's all about. So just uh, speaking of the misses, I have a sneaky suspicion that your origin story might be similar to mine, but would you mind telling all the listeners how you first got into barbecue? Yeah, mate. So I guess uh, there's a couple of different things that got me into it, I guess. But yeah, I, uh, my missus is American. So, um, but even before, well, just after I met her, actually, yeah, I, I studied abroad. Uh, I did uni for six months over in America. I studied at Kansas. And... Uh, yeah, one day, um, well, I was, yeah, I was there with a bunch of Americans and they were sort of talking up this barbecue joint. They're like, oh, we'll take you to this joint. It's got the best barbecue in the world. 
I guess I was sort of thinking, oh, yeah, you know, the Americans, they, they talk it up a bit, you know, is it, is it actually that good? But uh, we went to, uh, to Oklahoma Joe's there in Kansas City. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, so I hadn't had, well, I hadn't had barbecue before. Barbecue to me back then meant, you know, burning a steak on the, on the gas barbecue. So when I went in there, I didn't know what a brisket was. I didn't know what pulled pork was. So I think I ordered ribs first because that was the only thing. I was like, oh, yeah, I've had ribs. And then uh, as soon as I ate it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. What? Oh, oh. So then I, I think I ordered the brisket and I ordered the pulled pork. And uh, they nearly had to roll me out of there, I think. And, uh, yeah, it's sort of I, I was like, man, as soon as I get back to Australia, I've got to work out how to cook, cook that. So, yeah, when I got back, I try. I bought a Weber kettle and just kind of probably for a few years worked out every way not to cook it because I didn't really have much idea what I was doing and read a lot of different stuff and just did a lot of cooks that didn't work too well. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, but I, I guess I just got pretty obsessed with it. I was uh, I was very into I didn't know about comps or anything then, but I just kind of was very into, you know, on the weekend cooking up that, that big roast with having all the your mates around and some beers. So, uh yeah, that's probably how it started, I guess. And then um, because, yeah, because my missus is American and I'd head over to America a fair bit, once I found out there was competitions and, you know, people were full into it, so I guess, I uh, yeah, I started trying to work out who I could train with when I was over there and what, what barbecue restaurants we could go to when I was over there. So, yeah, that's probably how it started. Turned into a bit of an obsession, I guess. Yeah. So does that um, does that predate the the birth of the ABA and the the real launch of the Australian scene? Uh, when I studied it, it did. Yeah, I'd have to. Oh, when was? So I studied over there. Oh, now I'm thinking of what year it was. Maybe 2006, 2007. Um, so I don't know if the ABA had started then. I don't think they'd started just yet, had they? No, I think they started uh, around. I want to say. 2013, I want to say. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so yeah, kind of. I guess I kind of um, got a taste for it then, and was kind of doing a bit on the weekend, but nothing too serious. And about the time when I found out there was competitions, I think I must have seen a barbecue pitmasters on the TV. Um, probably just after that was when I first saw, yeah, the ABA Port Macquarie comp, I think, and that's when I kind of got excited. I was like, oh, okay, sweet. There's people doing this for competitions and, you know, there's someone in Australia doing it. So that's probably when it went from a bit of a weekend warrior into a bit of a full-blown obsession, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I think we all uh, fall down that rabbit hole pretty hard and fast. Now I yeah. – um, <laughs> Now, I understand that you've trained under one of the best there is. So who was that and how'd that come about? Uh, yeah, I guess there's a, there's a couple of different ones. But probably the one I spent the, the most time training with was probably uh, Chris Marks. So um, it originally came about, well, it was a bit of a funny story, actually. So the, the good one brand of barbecue that um, I ended up, I went over and oh, probably visited maybe six or seven different um barbecue manufacturers over in the States when I decided, you know, there was probably before that we're really making any in Australia um, when I got mine and I wanted to import one across and I was trying to work out which one it was. And, um, yeah, so I got a good one, imported it across, been using it for a fair while, and then I didn't actually know that Chris Marks worked for the good one. And um, so, yeah, well, I was going back and forth with the owners a little bit and they're like – and I – 
tried to go to one of Chris's classes when I was over in America, but I missed it because uh, the, the dates didn't quite work out. And then, yeah, when I, I kept kind of bugging some of the owners for barbecue questions, I guess, and they're like, oh, we'll put you on to, to Chris. He, he, you know, he's the whatever, you know, previous world champion. He's probably better qualified to answer the questions. I was like, oh, sh-. like, does he work for you? They're like, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, awesome. So we just sort of got chatting there. And then, um, yeah, I ended up doing his class over there. And then, yeah, we got chatting some more and, uh, yeah, sort of organised him coming over here, uh, we travelled around, did some classes around here, some sort of joint classes, I guess, around here as well. And, yeah, that's sort of how it started. And, um, yeah, spent some time when I was uh, over there with him. Uh, we did a couple of cooks together, a couple of classes, and, yeah, that's, I guess, how it all started. That's so cool. So he actually came out and delivered classes with you, like here in Australia. Yeah, well, because I was really keen, um, you know, there hadn't really been many classes over here yet, um, virtually probably none that, that I'd thought of. So basically, uh, I trained under him and knew he was awesome and was keen, keen to get him out here. So I kind of just basically get up a deal with him and said, right, you know, I'll organise everything, uh, you know, and you you fly out for it was in his it was in our when was it January I think which is kind of their lower season because it's freezing over there so it was a little bit of a we kind of scheduled it in his quiet season I just organised everything and then um, yeah put on the classes and he did most of the the class stuff I guess I just did basically everything else organised the venue and the meet and supply and just everything else I guess and just driving them around and um, yeah there was parts of it there's certain parts of the class um that i did but you know he was doing majority of it but yeah that's how it came about i guess so um no it was awesome had a great time and he does about i think he does about 50 classes a year over in the states so he's pretty uh pretty red hot at it so uh yeah it was good yeah that sounds like a fantastic opportunity mate now i understand that not too long ago you did uh, speaking of fantastic opportunities, very well at a comp in the States. Can you fill us in on that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we, I guess it was always on the bucket list to uh, to go over to the uh, American Royal, uh, probably one of the biggest comps, I guess, out there. And, yeah, so we kind of organised to, to go over to it. And, yeah, kind of interestingly enough, it was a bit random how we ended up getting involved in. I'm still not sure where we got the invite from, but we got invited to the <laughs> day before it started, we got invited to like the celebrity cook-off. I didn't really know what it was. I was just, I'm assuming we got the uh, invitation because we were one of the tokens Australians there. There was, there was one, I think Double Barrel and a couple of guys from the Mafia over there as well. But um, yeah, so somehow we scored this invitation to the celebrity cook-off and I thought it was going to be a bit of a, a laugh, I guess, and nothing too serious. But, uh, yeah, there was, I think there was maybe seven other teams, but it was all, I guess, with everything at that level of barbecue, it was all still pretty serious. And there was a bunch of people, there was a couple of people in there that had won the American Royal before. So there's some good cooks in there, I guess. And, uh, yeah, it was one of those things where everyone gets given the same cut of meat. Uh, there wasn't really much time to prep it at all. We all had to cook on a kettle. Um, and then... There was only a certain uh, – they gave us certain sauces and rub. We, we couldn't bring our own. We couldn't make our own or anything like that. So it was kind of really like 
do the best you could with what you were given, I guess. And, um, yeah, so one was uh, a pork loin and then the other one was a steak. So, yeah, we managed to get second overall in the pork loin and first in the steak. So, yeah, we got first overall. So that was kind of um, – it was pretty funny. It was all all a bit random. I didn't really think it was as big as it was until we got there and then we won and then I think we did five or six bloody news crosses from all the different media stations and yeah, it was it was pretty funny to be honest in the end. It was uh yeah, but no, it was uh it was good fun. Yeah, I saw some of those media crosses. That was how I actually found out about it. Was that um I wanna say it was one of the big ones too, like Fox or CNN or something? Like it it was like a nationwide uh media coverage it was incredible yeah there was a couple of kind of kansas ones like whatever it was and then yeah i think there was one yeah there was one fox and then one something else i think it was but um yeah it was all it was all a bit unexpected for us i think i think i thought it was just going to be because we got these celebrities like ex nfl players and ex baseball players um the guy we got was just mad as a cut snake he was like mate i don't know anything about barbecue but i've drank a full esky of beer and I'm just gonna be. I'm just gonna get the crowd pumping. I'll be the hype man. I was like, right, mate. No worries. So, um, yeah, it was all. I guess we hadn't expected that. And then, yeah, when we won, I thought we might get a little ribbon or something, and then head off. But there's all these people lining up and with the cameras, and yeah, it was pretty funny. That's so cool. So cool. <laughs> what was the name of the guy that you were uh, teamed up with? Uh, Jamie, oh, I can't remember how to say his last name. Bulmer, I think it was. He used to be a pitcher for the Kansas City Royals, is it? The baseball team, the Royals, yeah. And um, I think he played five seasons or something, and then he tore his ligament in his finger, something like that. But um, there, there was all these people that I didn't know who they were, to be honest. And then my wife's brother, so he's American, he was like, oh, that's such and such. Oh, that's such and such. And he was like pointing all these people out. And I'm like, oh, I've got no idea who they are. The footy players were big. I knew that. About <laughs> six and uh, <laughs> they were massive. So uh, I could spot the footy players. But, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have any idea who they were. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Now, we just briefly um, uh, talked about your, your good one. Uh, what was it? Good one, Marshall Smoker. I want to sort of just delve back into that just a little bit more, just sort of circle back to that a bit. Why did you go with that over a more conventional smoker? Yeah, well, I guess uh, when I was looking into it, I looked at a a bunch of different ones. And for me, uh, I mean, everyone's obviously got their own uh, opinion on this stuff, but I I think kind of the the offset smokers give you the best flavor. Um, I've got a bunch of different ones and tested a bunch of different ones, I guess, and I just kind of find the best results on them. So I I really wanted an offset smoker. The drama that I had, I guess, especially because I was, you know, going into um, doing classes. At that time, I thought I might have been doing more catering. I wasn't really sure, but I knew I'd be cooking on it most weekends for, you know, potentially a commercial uh, aspect. And... The thing that really sold it for me, because it's an offset smoker, but it's kind of, yeah, well, if you look at it, um, it looks a bit weird. It's not a offset in terms of the firebox is off to the side. The firebox is behind it and a little bit lower. So it kind of, the the heat wants to kind of rise naturally, if you get me. So mm-hmm. it's pretty even heat distribution, which I like. Um, and then but the, the main big thing for me was, 
you can fill, you basically fill a firebox up with about five kilos of charcoal, you know, depending on how long you're cooking, but, uh, you know, between five to ten kilos of charcoal, and it'll run the whole night, but you don't need to keep feeding it, even though it's an offset. So that was that was the huge thing that ended up selling me, I guess, uh, the fact that it was kind of like a, you know, you merely set it and forget it and it just run all night without you having to, to touch it at all. Yeah, wow, that must be so efficient. Yeah, it is, yeah, super efficient. Um, yeah, pretty pretty good design, I guess, and yeah, there's not really any hot spots too much in it. It's got a little baffle plate that you can actually control the heat, so you can actually, if you get really fancy, um, you know, because I use it a fair bit, I guess, is you can induce hot spots a little bit if you want, if I want to put one in, in there on purpose, but, you know, if you're just running at the normal set up uh, like most people would yeah it's pretty even heat distribution uh, nice and efficient and yeah you just you fill it up with unlit charcoal or a little bit of lit charcoal on top and it'll just you know basically kind of like a minion type method and yeah it'll just slowly go out and uh, I've actually had it up to oh what did I get I think my record was about 21 hours uh, with there with only 10 or 11 kilos of charcoal I think it was that's so cool. So what was yeah, the process so, like bringing that into Australia? Um, oh, it was super complicated when I first did it, <laughs> when I was doing it for myself. But, um, yeah, I've got it down to a bit of a fine art now, I guess, because, uh, yeah, any basically I import them for, for anyone that, that wants them. So, yeah, I've, kind of, I've got the customs broker, I've got all the paperwork and the documents and all, all that stuff sorted. So, um, yeah, pretty much just uh, someone wants it, we we put the first one on the boat and get it over here and goes from there. But um, it was uh, it was pretty complicated getting that first one through and working out all the, the different stuff I needed to do for it. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine that the, uh, the Aussie tax man would want his cut too, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, he wants a cut. Everyone wants a different. <laughs> Everyone kind of wants their uh, cut on it. But uh, I ended up after a while. I went through one or two different brokers, and I ended up getting a really good one. That um, kind of uh, yeah, it's really funny how that that whole stuff works. I guess you can sort of uh, yeah, you can get <laughs> if you don't if you're not doing the right stuff or you don't really understand what you're doing. I guess you can be paying a lot more than you are supposed to. So, um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's not too bad. We've sort of got it pretty sussed out now, but, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Um, okay, so when I was uh, researching some of the um, different barbecue businesses operating here in Australia at the moment, um, yours sounded like it was just incredible, like a traveling barbecue school. I was seeing posts of yours of, like, hey, I've packed up the Land Cruiser and I'm going to be driving from Melbourne to <laughs> Brisbane and doing uh, schools on the way and all that. So can you tell us a bit about Bully Barbecue and how it all came about? Yeah, so I guess um, it's a different story slightly, I guess. So oh, I used to be an engineer on the road and basically I came to the conclusion that I hated my job and didn't want to do it anymore. So what came first actually was I just wanted to – my whole goal, I guess, was I just wanted to do run my own business and do something that I loved. I was kind of sick of uh, doing stuff that I didn't really like, I guess. So uh, I did like a bunch of different business seminars, actually. Uh, I went to a few different things like that. And then 
yeah, I basically come up with coming up with like what would I do, you know, if money wasn't an option, what would I do in my spare time? And I'm like, well, pretty much any spare time I have, I'm barbecuing. So I was like, right, how do I make a business out of barbecuing then? So then I kind of thought about ways I could earn money from cooking barbecue, basically. So I went through a few different scenarios in terms of what I could do, um, you know, whether, uh, you know, open a barbecue store or, you know, sorts of drugs, all different stuff. But when I really boiled down to it and looked at what I love doing, I, I kind of really enjoy teaching people. Uh, my mum's a teacher, so maybe that's where I get it from. But, yeah, even when I was in engineering, uh, my favourite part was, you know, the new young engineers coming and me teaching them, you know, all the stuff. So, yeah, when I kind of really looked at what I enjoyed, uh, it was definitely teaching people. So then, yeah, basically I was like, right, I'll, uh, you know, design cooking classes and then just travel around and it's kind of ticking a lot of boxes. I'm doing barbecue, which I love. I'm teaching people, which I love. And then, yeah, it's sort of, uh, that's pretty much how it came about, I guess. Now, a lot of people usually, um, when they do decide to, to jump into a barbecue business, they leap straight into catering. Why did you go to, I mean, you, you, you kind of briefly mentioned it before, but why did you go into a school and not into a catering business? Yeah, I did. Like, I've done some catering uh, and we've, uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably, yeah, like it, it can be pretty, pretty good money, the catering, I guess, but... What I found uh, for me personally was when we had done the, the catering events, and it, I guess when, well, it still is to a degree now, but especially when I was starting, uh, I guess, no one, like so many people didn't know what barbecue was, like the low and slow type barbecue. And when we, that we'd be serving, that there'd be like lines of, you know, 10, 20 people trying to have a chat to us, like, what's going on? Like, what, what the hell is this stuff you're doing? And what's the smoke? And, I've never had brisket before and they'd want to just have a chat to you about it. And but when you're catering, like you're flat out and it's like, it's, it can be extremely hard to, you know, just stop serving people and, you know, have a chat and it's about barbecue. So I guess where, cause that was happening a lot, I guess um, that and the fact that I really enjoy teaching people is why I kind of wanted to go down the, the class path um, more so than the catering. That was probably what I, uh, wanted to really launch the classes. Yeah, I'd imagine that uh, the clients would not really appreciate it at all if you were catering like a wedding or something and standing there talking to the guests and dinner was late. Yeah, well, that's it. It was still, it became a thing of like, yeah, you'd always just keep serving and you'd be, try, be trying to chat to them. Uh, but I nearly felt a little bit rude because I'm very, I'm not very good at doing more than one thing at once, if you get me. Like some people can kind of, you know, chat away while they're still doing the work. Whereas I was like, if I was trying to chat, like I'd, I, I can't, I can barely even slice brisket, you know, whilst I'm chatting to someone. I've got to be like, <laughs> you know, very focused on it, or I get like everything falls apart. So uh, yeah, I, I struggled when people were trying to have a yarn to me about it. And and what I wanted to do, like I wanted to have a yarn to them about, it, you know, I, I wanted to talk to them, and because people are interested in getting started, and you know what they should do, and. You know, I, I want to help them out and, you know, give them some advice when they're starting off, I guess. So, yeah. Very cool, my man. So we've talked about uh, how you import the uh, the good one smokers. We've talked about the, the school. What other irons do you have in the fire? Well, look, I guess um, there's one or two other things that uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what, those irons kept me pretty busy, just, <laughs> just those couple. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's a few other things we've, we've toyed with. We, we do kind of have a couple of um, rubs uh, that we've designed, but, and probably we've got one or two sources that we've probably, yeah, we've got one source that we'd really like to go commercially with. But, um, yeah, at the moment, we just sort of make it for, for us and our, our small group of friends. I don't give it to, to too many people because then I get too many requests <laughs> in a way for it. But, um, yeah, that's, that's the main ones, I guess, just kind of uh, spreading the barbecue love and, and teaching people about it. And, um, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of people that see the smoker in action, I guess, uh, get interested in it. And, um, yeah, so, so I import them for, for anyone that wants it and, that's uh, that's keeping us pretty busy. Those things, I guess. Rubs and sauces, very interesting. I'm going to keep an eye out for them in the uh, in the future. And speaking of the future, what's coming up in 2018 for Bully Barbecue? Yeah, look, it's been an uh, it's been an interesting last year, I guess. We um, what are we now? 2018. So 2016, we went pretty well, crazy for us. So our my team, our barbecue team, is just me and the missus. So I think we did. Four comps, four ABA comps and one KCBS, I think, um, which might not sound like a lot, and I know a lot of teams did more than that, but that was that was a big year for us because it was basically if we weren't doing a comp, I was doing a class, so it was a very hectic year, I guess. And then last year was really crazy. I think we did. Oh, I'd have to look. I think we did. I think we just cracked forty classes or forty-one classes for the year. Um, so. Pretty pretty hectic year because uh, we did a lot of corporate events as well, kind of corporate barbecue classes slash. It's, it's not really catering and it wasn't really a normal class. It was kind of somewhere in between, I guess. Um, so, yeah, we ended up doing a, a bunch of that. So, yeah, we will kind of go flat stitch and, yeah, scaled it back a little bit uh, towards the end of last year and started this year just because my uh, back started giving me some issues unfortunately all the all the traveling I, I've had some issues uh, well I broke my back when I was in high school basically so it's, uh, it's normally not too bad but sometimes it can flare up a bit so yeah resting a, a little bit at the moment uh, and mainly just been doing corporate stuff because we've been getting a few uh, getting a fair few people contact us for that I guess and in terms of running the business when you know if someone already got, you know, 30 or 50 people ready to go. Um, it's it's easier than organising a class, if that makes sense. <laughs> so, um, mainly just been doing the corporate stuff. And then, yeah, we'll sort of, uh, I don't think we'll go quite as crazy uh, with the classes as we did last year because it was quite full on. But, uh, yeah, definitely looking at getting some, uh, some more going in the year. That's, yeah, that's pretty much where we're at at the moment. I'm just uh, resting the back a little bit. At the moment, hopefully it'll uh, be all sorted soon. Oh, I'm doing some comps. We're uh, trying to work out which uh, which comps we can get to this year, and you know, even if we uh, you know team up uh, with some of the other teams we're we're mates with, and you know, we just do one or two meets each or something like that, just something so we can uh, get back. It's been a while since we've done a comp, so we're we're uh, missing them, I guess. This is Andy Groneman, and you're listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions.
It's nice to see businesses out there that see the problems in the world and seek to solve them. Clean Heat Barbecue is one of these businesses. A charcoal and briquette manufacturer, Clean Heat prides themselves on being the most eco-friendly brand on the market today. Harvesting from an invasive species that's destroying valuable farmland in Namibia, Clean Heat Barbecue's products are sustainable, eco-friendly, 100% natural and renewable. Most importantly for barbecue enthusiasts, their products are clean burning and long lasting. It is the fuel of choice for many top barbecue teams in Australia, and Clean Heat Barbecue is known for being strong supporters of the Australian barbecue scene, sponsoring several competitions every season. At Clean Heat Barbecue, their motto is the four Fs, fire, food, and friendship. When those three come together, you'll be fueling your passion. To find your local distributor of Clean Heat Barbecue products, follow Clean Heat Charcoal on Facebook at Clean Heat BBQ and on Instagram at Clean underscore Heat Charcoal and send Abel a PM. Okie dokie, Ricky, we're now heading into a segment two of this uh, awesome episode. And so it's time to get into some of the more businessy type questions. So, uh, so let's get stuck into it. Now, Bully Barbecue is a really interesting name. How did you decide on that as a business name? <laughs> yeah, so I probably wouldn't have decided on it as a business name if I knew it was going to be a business to start with, because a lot of people don't understand it. They think we must, you know, bully people around or something. But basically, yeah, when we first made our team name for our very first comp ages ago, uh, we've got a bull terrier dog. So that's where we came up with the the bully barbecue. And if you, yeah, if you have a look at our logo, you can see our little dog on there. She's the mascot, the big bull head. So uh, yeah, that's where bully barbecue came from. We, we don't bully people. We're just uh, obsessed with our dog, I guess. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess people wouldn't want to... Uh come to a class if they're going to get screamed at and pushed around, unless it was uh, Gordon Ramsay's class, I suppose. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely not like that. It's a bit more casual than old Gordo. <laughs> yeah. So we've already talked about um, about how and when you decided to teach barbecue. What characteristics do you think make a good barbecue teacher? Oh, geez, that's an interesting question. Um, so I guess... Um, well, I guess what I've done, I'll just tell you the path I took, I guess, um, or that I've taken, a better way to say it. So I guess for me, obviously, yeah, obviously, you know, I need to know about barbecue and, you know, need to be able to cook reasonable barbecue. But I guess I went a bit further than that in terms of just the actual teaching method. So firstly, I had a absolute phobia of public speaking, so the idea of getting up in front of people just I would like I couldn't do it basically back in the day so I had to do a couple of things to to get over my fear and uh, I did a couple of kind of speaking courses um, uh, public speaking courses and presenter courses so there's kind of um, yeah pe- people that travel around and give presentations and stuff like that I, I trained with them so although it was very they thought it was quite weird when, you know, they they said, "Oh, what are you, what, you know, what are you travelling around doing?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm teaching barbecue." Like, oh, right, that's that's a bit different. But I guess for me was because it was probably a weakness of mine, public speaking, and I wanted to make sure, you know, that didn't affect my classes. Well, firstly, I had to get over to be able to do a class. So, um, yeah, I, I did a lot of different things around speaking and how to speak in front of a group and what to do and how to structure the class. I guess you know, so that people don't fall asleep or get bored and stuff like that. So 
yeah, obviously there's all the barbecue aspects of it, um, which I thought I was pretty okay with. And I, obviously, I did a fair bit of research and experimenting myself, uh, you know, to ensure that I, I nailed the, all the cooking part of it. But then, yeah, I did a fair bit of stuff on just how to actually present it as well. If you get me, I didn't just sort of rock up and then just, you know, talk smack about barbecue for three hours and, you know, <laughs> watch people fade into the distance and, and lose concentration and, you know, and be like, oh, geez. So, yeah, I, I guess that's how, how I went about it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I'm a teacher in my day job and uh, three hours is a long time to try and hold someone's concentration. So that's good that you went and did all those classes and that because there's definitely a uh, definitely a trick to maintaining attention and concentration for that sort of time. Well, that's it. Yeah, I didn't actually realize. Um, yeah, that's what you did, mate. So yeah, as, as you'd know, there's, uh, yeah, you can't just sort of sit everyone down and lay it out as that, you know. Yeah, you've got to structure it and have a couple of different elements of the class and, you know, get them up and moving around and go and have a look at the barbecue and different break periods and different periods where you go through the stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I, um, I, I teach in a classroom uh, English language, so it's a, it's a little bit different. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, same, same, same basic principles. Yeah, the one thing I can do is I can tease them with the meat a little bit, I guess. I kind of, uh, <laughs> I float some of the stuff we've cooked past a little bit and so that gets their interest back if they're ever waning. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard making uh, making grammar fun, but uh, I, I do my best. <laughs> so, mate, can you describe your first class? What was that experience like? Oh, my first class. Wow, I was uh, absolutely packing it, to be honest. Uh, I hadn't really spoken in front of people like that before. I uh, I had a cheeky couple of beers actually to settle the nerves, which is probably, I don't know, like I wasn't uh, drunk or anything, but I uh, had one or two just to calm myself down because I was just super nervous. Um, there was a few of my mates in it, like I did it in cost here, so there was, uh, there was a couple of people, you know, that had, that had bought the ticket, but there was also one or two blokes I knew, which I don't know if it made it easier or better, Probably, probably nearly worse to be honest, because I knew like <laughs> there was people I knew in there. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it went okay. I think it definitely wasn't one of my better classes. But I guess I probably was a little too heavy on the information. And yeah, probably all that stuff that we just talked about, the overall structure and all that sort of stuff, I probably didn't have as uh, well sorted as. Uh, I do now, I guess. It was kind of, yeah, the overall structure of it probably wasn't the, the greatest. It was probably a little bit too much information, uh, to be honest. So, yeah, but I, uh, you always got to start somewhere. So that was that was pretty much mine. It was out of, out of the winery, uh, which was pretty good because uh, most people had dug into a fair bit of the wine, so it probably didn't matter as much. <laughs> Ah, uh, another thing I can't do in the classroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, mate, how do you how do you put a class together? How do you decide where, when, what to cook, and what to cook on? Uh, yeah. So basically, uh, when is I normally just do them on the weekends. Uh, that's just mainly because I, I travel to a lot of my classes. Where 
Uh, I basically, yeah, I basically just sort of get a venue, you know, at the end of the day, we're learning to cook barbecue. I'm not teaching first aid or anything, so it's nothing too serious. So I normally just try to get a venue that's kind of in the same vibe as what I'm doing, you know what I mean? Uh, just somewhere kind of, kind of relaxed. And then in terms of what to cook on, uh, I pretty much just use the, the Marshall, uh, for every class just because it's heaps easier and I can leave it on overnight. Um, you know, if I had to stay up all night and tend to the barbecue, I don't think my classes would be great. <laughs> I think I'd be very tired and scattered and uh, not the best presenter. So, yeah, I always use the muscles just because it allows me to – I'm just so used to it now, I guess, and I put it on about 9 or 10 that night and just let it go all night, and I know it's uh, you know not going to do anything funny on me and I don't have to watch it. And then in terms of what to cook, I guess, I've, did a, I've done a few different classes and yeah, I really just, when I started, I was just kind of doing the, the usual stuff, I guess. And then I kind of really just talked to the people at the classes um, when I started and just really got a feel for what they wanted and what they wanted to learn about or what they wanted more of. And then I kind of just structured my classes from there a little bit, if that makes sense for uh, Basically, gave the people what they what they wanted for the, the different uh, types of classes. Yeah, right. Sounds like a good strategy to me, mate. Now, you mentioned that you look around a bit trying to find um, venues that sort of match your your own theme and your own style. Um, do you need to spend a lot of time building strategic relationships with with companies in the area that you're delivering your classes in? And and how do you go about that? Because I'd imagine that people would establish relationships with their local butcher, with their fuel guy, with that guy, with that guy, and it'd be like a long-term ongoing thing. But because you're traveling around, do you have, like, do you have this massive network of contacts that you work with? I do, yeah, because I, I think it's very important that, you know, say if I'm doing a class in Brisbane, if they ask me where I got my biscuit from and I say, you know, old mate in Coffs Harbour where I live, that's not much use to them. So... Wherever I do the class, I always use a local butcher there. Uh, so it makes it a lot of work for me, I guess, because I've got, you know, 10 different people to talk to instead of probably one. But I think that's important because I want to, you know, I want to be able to send everyone that comes to the class to the same spot that I got the meat from. And yeah, so, sometimes it's awesome because they're already kind of quite into the, the low and slow type barbecue or just any any type of barbecue, you know, they know a bit about it. Sometimes I kind of need to educate them a little bit on uh, on what we do uh, in barbecue and what we're looking for from them, I guess, because sometimes, they're, you know, they're normally keen to learn, but they just haven't experienced that. They don't really know what we're looking for, I guess. So, yeah, build a network of a lot of different uh, butchers and meat supplies and all that sort of stuff in every town. And then same thing again with the, the venues, yeah, you sort of develop that relationship with them. And, yeah, it can be hard at the start, I guess. Um, there was basically just a lot of me going around, you know, shortlisting, you know, five to ten that, I, that I'd like to do it at and um, just having a – doing a bit of homework, I guess, before I got there in terms of where I could set up and, you know, is the venue even suited for it because, um, you know, it obviously needs a kind of a, an outdoor area to have the smoke up but then an area that's a bit – that's quiet enough for us to, to do the class and all that sort of stuff. And then, yeah, after you get the short list, it's just basically a matter of 
going in and introducing yourself and having a chat and seeing if they'd be uh, open to it and sort of, yeah, establishing the, the relationship from there, I guess. Arkydokes. And so are you able then to piggyback off the back of your venue for like a food license or do you have to have a, a, a separate food license for each area that you want to deliver a class in like a catering business does, for example? Yeah, I've got I've got all the food licenses and all that sort of stuff myself. You might be able to piggyback off them potentially, um, but probably talking a little out of school, like I don't actually know. You might be able to do that or you might not. But basically, I just got all the different licenses myself, uh, just in case, uh, because it was going to be my, you know, my full time employment. I, I just got all of that stuff just sort of covered, I guess. All the insurances, I've got all my own insurances and licenses, and yeah, all all that I, I got myself. Oh wow! So you've got like a food permit for Newcastle, one for Brisbane, one for Coffs, one for Sydney, like all up and down the East Coast? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Depending on, obviously, there's different uh, different stuff in different places, so depending on what you need. But, yeah, yeah, I've got um, a bunch of different things all over the, the place for depending where we're going. Oh, wow. Okay, so what are some things that um, that people thinking of starting their own barbecue school should consider that they probably haven't thought of yet? Oh, I don't know. It's, it's a tough one to answer, I guess. Um, it's a bit more work than I think people assume. I think they sort of think you don't do much during the week and then you kind of turn up and, and run a class. But I guess for me, um, I'll assume that most of them have kind of, you know, they, they know about barbecue and that uh, if not, you know, they're, they're committed to doing the research and experimenting and, you know, refining their craft. So I'll assume they've kind of got that type of stuff covered I guess uh, I guess for me uh, what I did is is, for me it's a business so you know even if you're just going to run a class on the weekend wherever you live and still keep your day job it's still a business at the end of the day I guess and so I I got a business coach uh, I got a mindset coach I got a bunch of other stuff so yeah basically I've just done a full kind of on business and marketing and sales, you know, how to set up uh, your advertising for the classes, uh, how to get people in, how to get interest in your business. So, yeah, it was kind of just um, that's maybe the stuff that people might overlook, I guess. Um, You can, you know, it, it depends what you want out of it. If you just want to do a class every now and then, you might not have to do as much of that stuff. But if you want to do it fairly regularly, then, yeah, you're sort of going to run it like a business and... The first couple of classes, you know, probably go all right from sort of your your network of people, I guess, your friends and your mates and, and people share it. But then after that, you can't really, well, from for my experience, I don't think you can really rely on that for consistency. You know, you need to really have a solid marketing uh, and basically just a solid business set up, you know what I mean? Web pages, marketing, um how you take your sales and automated systems and all that sort of stuff, I guess. Yeah, I'd imagine that that, uh, that well would run dry pretty quick. It does, yeah. I mean, uh, it's a good way to get started because, I mean, the, the main thing, you know, if you're kicking off any business is to just, you know, there's only so much knowledge you can take on before you need to go and take action and, you know, get into the re- arena and start doing stuff. But, um, yeah, definitely be aware that, yeah, what using that kind of network might get you the the first couple, but then you're going to have to you know implement some fairly 
solid marketing and sales practices just to, to continue it on as a business, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So would you then say that uh, uh, consistency and continuity is the hardest thing about running a barbecue school? Um, oh, the hardest thing is running it. It's, yeah, uh, probably consistency and continuity is pretty hard. It's, um, depending on how many classes you do, it can be pretty draining, I guess, to kind of, um, yeah, like you, you'll prep. Cause I, cause I run classes, you know, one after another every weekend and stuff. You're kind of, all week you're organizing the different venues and the meat and the supply and all the different stuff and the marketing. The marketing takes up probably a lot of the time. And then, yeah, I guess, I guess it's hard just um, putting kind of working all weekend as well, you know what I mean? Setting up for the class, delivering the class. And, yeah, I'd say pretty important, you know, making sure I was, very switched on for the class, if that makes sense. You know, I didn't want to rock up tired or, or you know, not uh, not deliver that good of a class. So, yeah, it's probably – I actually think if I was to boil it down to one thing, the hardest thing is probably consistent marketing and scheduling. So scheduling of just, you know, your whole week and your, and your weekend and uh, how, you, you know, when you're – when you're getting the meat delivered by, when you're putting it on, how you're running the class, the timesheet of the class is super important. So, yeah, the scheduling of not just the class and the event, but kind of the whole leading up process to it as well, I guess. That's really interesting. In uh, in a few episodes ago, I was talking to uh, Mark from Smartfire. He was saying logistics was the hardest thing about um, about running a manufacturing company. And that's kind of the same sort of similar thing that you're saying here is that it's it's not the barbecuing, it's not the teaching, it's the... It's the what's underneath that, what's the bedrock holding that up that's the trickiest bit. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's right. And it's kind of, um, yeah, I mean, you have to treat it like a, a business, you know what I mean? It's a bit, it's a business that I love and it's a passion I've got. But, um, yeah, in order to it, – it's still a business at the end of the day, you know what I mean? I, uh, I get income from running running classes and, uh, you know, selling, selling a couple of smokers. So, yeah, the – you still have to have that structure of a business, you know what I mean? Like I've got staff members, uh, I've got one or two full-time staff that help me with the stuff and then probably five part-time staff with it. So yeah, it's a, it's a full-on business, I guess. It's kind of not, um, it's not as easy as just, you know, putting a post on Facebook that you're going to do a class and then running it on the weekend. Well, you know, for me to do it full-time, um, yeah, I couldn't really survive like that. If I was still working during the week and getting another income and I just did them every now and then, then I probably could. But yeah, for me, for it to be my my full-time source of income, yeah, I had to set it up correctly, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Go big or go home. So conversely then, what is the best thing about running a barbecue school? Uh, oh, look, I just love... Um, it's just great hanging out with people that are kind of, you know, on their barbecue journey and you just you get, get to talk about something that you're super passionate in, I guess. I kind of lived my life for, you know, a fair few years doing a job I didn't really enjoy and just kind of felt like I'd lost my way a little bit. So, I mean, it's great that you just get to 
I don't know what it is. I, I still don't know what it is. You know, I talk to a lot of people about why they like barbecue and I don't know whether it's this kind of deep sense of, you know, some sort of hunter-gatherer thing and you you provide, you know, getting a bunch of people in the room and, you know, providing the food for them, what, cooking over fire, whatever it is, you know, maybe I'm uh, got a bit more caveman in me than, than some other people, I'm not sure. But I just, um, yeah, it's just super enjoyable, I guess, to be able to... Uh, talk about your passion and teach other people your passion. And, um, yeah, just, uh, I guess what drew me into competition barbecue and then teaching barbecue as well was kind of the reaction you get from some people, if that makes sense, you know, when they kind of lose their marbles over a bit of meat that you give them and they're like, oh, my God, this is unreal. It's kind of, uh, yeah, I don't know, it's kind of cool. You're listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with barbecue pitmaster Ben Arnott. Big thanks go out to Jagged Woodfired for helping me bring you this episode. Buying a smoker can be confusing. Something for low and slow, something for roasting, a pizza oven, what about baking? The Jagged Woodfired smoker does all of these things. The question is how? First, the entire smoker is fully insulated. The firebox is insulated with kiln-grade bricks and there are more on the cooking chamber floor, doubling as a pizza stone. The cooking chamber is then insulated with a 6cm or 2.5 inch insulation blanket. This means that the Jagged can get up to 600 degrees Fahrenheit in under 30 minutes, sit at low and slow temperatures using very little fuel, and will even sit well under 200 Fahrenheit for cold smoking. Jagged wants to make sure you have a very happy new year, and so until the end of December 2017, they're offering an exclusive discount for you Smoking Hot Confessions podcast listeners. Use the code word CONFESSIONS at checkout if buying online, or quote it when dealing with them direct for 15% off your purchase price. Head on over to jaggedoutdoorovens.com, spelled J-A-G-R-D, to learn more. Thanks for sticking around, Ricky. We've got one more segment to go, and this is our listener question section. So I've got a bunch of listener questions here. They've been ringing all day trying to get through, and uh, let's get stuck into it. G'day, Ricky. Benton from Newcastle here. Just wondering, what's your ranking of proteins from easiest to most difficult? Thanks. Yeah, mate. Uh, oh, good question. Um, oh, it's a tough one. Um, I'd probably say... Lamb and pork would be the easiest. And then um, if you're talking about just proteins overall, um, oh, it's a tough one. It's uh, probably then beef and, and chicken, but I guess that's coming from a competition part of me a little bit, I guess. I, I do think chicken's probably... And not even necessarily the most difficult, but mo- the most fiddly in terms of when you're doing a competition. But the, for the home cooking, I think chicken's pretty straightforward. So, oh man, it's a tough one. Probably, I think brisket's pretty hard when you're starting out. Um, it's probably, I'll answer it this way because it's a tough question. Most of the people that come to my classes are struggling with brisket. That's probably. The, uh, the best way to, to put it. But, um, yeah, that, that's probably probably my rankings. And I, I do think that chicken is, if it's not the most difficult, it's definitely the most tedious uh, to do in the competitions, if you're talking just competition-wise. So that's, that's probably my uh, my answer for that one. But, 
good question. It's tough. It all depends on what cut you're doing and what you're trying to do with it. So, yeah, it's a tough one. So speaking of cuts then, which do you think is the hardest cut? Um, I, I think brisket's actually pretty straightforward What once you understand it. Um, but I think a lot of people just don't understand it or they've taken little pieces from different cooking methods, if you get me, and put it together. And it's kind of like a, kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. Um, but they're trying to solve it with four different boards and putting different pieces together and they're kind of not fitting. So well, I do think that um, brisket is probably the one that I most people have trouble with when they come to my classes. And, uh, yeah, that's probably what I get the most questions about. But once they understand it, a lot of people then come back with, oh, you know, it's pretty easy. I'm, I'm, I'm nailing it pretty well now. I, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah, it was just a confusion thing at the start, I think. Hi, Ricky. Well, from Singleton here. What's the most user-friendly smoker for a first-timer and why? Thank you. Bye. Well, there you go, mate. Um, Another good question. I mean, this is is a very hard one to to answer as well. Um, It kind of depends on what you want to do with it and what your budget is, I guess. Um, now I'll obviously preface this with, you know, I sell certain smokers, so obviously I'm probably, uh, <laughs> you know, I, there's a reason I sell them. I think they're pretty easy to use, but look, if, if we're boiling down to it, if you want something reasonably cheap, um, I probably think any of the kind of vertical smoke, like the R2D2 smokers, so like the Weber Smoky Mountain or the Pro 2 or something like that, I think are pretty easy. And then with most things, I guess, you know, you kind of, you kind of get what you pay for. If you upgrade and kind of go into the, to the other ones that are a little bit, uh, more expensive. Normally when you're paying that more, you know, they're, they're a bit better quality, uh, a bit better design. So they're not as hard, you know, the, the cheaper ones, you know, when you're not quite as well designed or a bit thin and metal, you sometimes struggle with it holding the temperature, which can be frustrating and, and make it hard. It's, it's harder to nail the cook with your temperatures up and down a lot. So, um, yeah, I mean, the ones that, that I use, the good ones, I think it's super easy uh, for first-time users. And that's um, – but, yeah, I'm trying to think what, what other ones. Um, if, you, if you're going to get, a like, a tube-style offset smoker, I do recommend – it's so much easier if you just pay that bit more and get a decent one, if you get me. Otherwise, you'll really kind of be up fighting an uphill battle. But – yeah, it all, it all depends what's in your budget and, and what you're looking for and how many people you, you're trying to cook for, I guess. So it's, uh, look, it's a really hard question to answer, man. Normally, to be honest, when people ask me in the classes, there's kind of, I just give them a, a sheet that I've designed, which basically asks them a few different questions. You know, what's your budget? How many people are you looking to cook for? Because uh, a lot of people I find buy a smoker and then they've, it's not big enough and they buy another one. And that's why, that's probably why I've got 12 smokers because I kind of, kept buying them not big enough uh, for what I wanted. So, yeah, hopefully that's shed a bit of light on some stuff to think about, I guess, when, you, when you're looking at it. But, uh, yeah, there's probably, yeah, there's a few different factors, I guess, I guess, in that. Yeah, some great advice there, mate. Hey there. I've got a question for Ricky. Uh, it's Nigel from the Gold Coast. 
I wanted to ask about taking that leap of faith to follow your passion full time. Like, were you scared to give up your day job? And what was it that got you to commit? Um, what made you think, like, that's it, I'm doing it? Hey, uh, Nigel, I definitely was, mate. Um, I guess, I guess what, um, yeah, for me to overcome it, I guess, I, I'd made the decision first that I wanted to quit my day job. And then I, um, the turning the barbecue into a business came after that because I, I decided I wanted to quit my job and do a business around my passion. Um, to overcome it, basically, there's a few different things I did. I went to a couple of different business seminars and different seminars about how to find your passion and all kind of crazy stuff like that. Crazy and some people would say weird stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, and then once I decided that's what I was going to do, I got a business coach and then I even got a mindset coach because I had a lot of issues around I was absolutely – uh, you know, had a phobia around public speaking, I guess, so I had to overcome that. And, yeah, I guess that's just kind of how I roll. If I'm going to do something, I'm I'm all in. I kind of dive head first into it. So even though it sounds a bit weird that I had a business coach, I guess, um, yeah, that was just how I set it up because I wanted to make sure it was successful. And, uh, yeah, back then I hadn't uh, – I'd run a construction, you know, engineering-type company, but I hadn't run a, a business like this before. So, yeah, I basically just – started getting a bunch of mentors, both both in the barbecue industry. You know, I got some mentors there that I kind of trained under and watched closely and worked with. And also mentors just in the, the business and marketing world as well, I guess, to kind of, um, yeah, look at how to uh, run an effective business. So were you working for yourself when you were an engineer or were you working for someone else? No, I was working for a company, a big company, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Hi, Ricky. Bree from the Gold Coast here. There seems to be heaps of people offering masterclasses at the moment. How would you recommend a new player distinguish themselves from the crowd? And is it important to be somebody on social media before you start? Hey, how you going? First up, I guess, is in terms of distinguishing... uh, Yeah, so I guess I just have a real good think about what you want to offer and if what's your... With any business, I guess, this is kind of my, my business coaching hat here, more so than my barbecue hat. Um, you want to work out, yeah, in terms of what what does make you different. So you're kind of talking about what distinguishes you from the crowd. So, yeah, I guess you need to work out what would be different uh, about your classes, what's different about how you run them or, you know, maybe what you offer or anything like that. And then when you find that point of difference that you don't think is being offered, uh, yeah, you kind of need to draw attention to that in your advertising and your marketing, I guess. And then in terms of the second part of the question in, you know, is it important to be somebody on social media before you start? I don't think so. That's like a bonus. Like if you've got a good social media you're following, that's kind of like some of your marketing done for you already, if that makes sense. So that's great. But uh don't ever let you hold. Don't ever let that hold you back from just taking action and doing classes because, um, you know, the, the the route I went for that, I guess, was basically just um, being somebody through action. So I just started doing. You know, I knew if I did a class every every day, uh, oh, sorry, every weekend, I knew that I'd get better at it and I'd get a following. And yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, halfway through last year, we hit a thousand people. That had, uh, so we've had over a thousand people come to our classes now. So, 
yeah, you, you'll turn into the, the be somebody, I guess, that you said. Uh, you can turn into that from just taking action and running classes. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously stuff you can do, like little videos and all that sort of stuff on social media is awesome, but, you know, the, the best thing to, to get out there and actually do something, you know what I mean? Get into the arena, I'd say, and uh, get down and dirty. Yeah, for sure. My wife's got a, a favorite quote. I don't know whose who's quote it is, but it's it's written on the wall here in front of me. It says, sometimes you've got to jump and grow your wings on the way down. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's Yeah, I like that one. I, uh, I've got one on my wall that, you know, sometimes you've got to burn the boat to take the island, which, you know, you just give yourself no option, which is what I did for my work. I just quit and uh, gave myself no option but to succeed. Yeah, that, uh, that I'll bet that was scary when you, when you put it like that. Yeah, I mean, it was. It definitely was. But uh, I guess the way that I looked at it, I didn't uh, – it was scary when I first started thinking about it, but then when I actually quit, I didn't find it that bad because basically I went through, well, what's my worst-case scenario? My worst-case scenario is I quit. Uh, I launched a business, I try my hardest and it doesn't work and my worst case scenario is then I go back to being an engineer and I'm like, okay, sweet. So what am I doing now? I'm being an engineer. So what am I doing? I'm, I'm living my worst case scenario. So when you look at it like that, it's like, well, I'm already doing the worst case scenario. So what's the, what's, what, nothing worse can happen. You know what I mean? So I've, uh, I'm just going to quit and try it. Wow. I've never heard it. Uh, I've I've never heard it put that way before. That's um, that's a really powerful way to think about it. Hey, g'day, Ricky. This is uh, John from Ipswich. Look, my question to you is, uh, what's the most popular cut of meat at your classes, and why do you think that is? Cheers. So, John from the Switch. Um, I used to work out near there, mate. Uh, well, again, it's tough. Um, most popular cut of meat at my classes. So um, I'm going to – if my most popular – I'll tell you what's most popular in terms of what people seem to like the most, I guess, from it. Um, oh, and, again, that's tough. It kind of changes a little bit with the crowd, but um, our lamb ribs get a fair rating. Uh Pork tenderloin is pretty popular, probably just because um, it's not one of the typical. I feel like people that are starting out have just gone the internet a bit and kind of fairly influenced by American type stuff, I guess. So when we we do a little bit of different stuff with our lamb, uh, like our pulled lamb, and also like a pork tenderloin type thing. So we nearly we also do an Asian-y type pork tenderloin. So they, they end up being quite popular at the class, I guess, because they're different. Uh, and people kind of get excited that it's not just your American-style brisket and, and pulled pork, I guess. Um, but then probably the one in terms of most popular that people kind of want to learn about or know about is probably... Oh, yeah, probably the brisket, I'd say. That's, and I think that stems from people sort of have tried it and hasn't gone as well. So that's, yeah, probably one of the more popular ones, yeah. Hey, Ricky, it's Matt from Brisbane. My question for you is, what is the most common misconception that you find barbecue competitors or people trying to get into low and slow generally 
fall into. Thanks for the bye. There you go, Matt. Um, ooh, I might. I'll split this into two questions. Uh, well, two parts, I guess, because it kind of there is two very separate things. So, and what I mean by that is the most common mistake people like just people kind of want in the backyard cook for low and slow and just cook good stuff for their mates. The most common trap that those people fall into is they overcomplicate it and they try to do it like competition barbecue. And one of the things just with, with how I teach, I guess, and my methods is I, I've simplified a lot of the stuff and taken out a lot of the fluff and extra stuff and all this complicated stuff that doesn't really have much of an effect. Uh, so for, for backyard people, I just want to cook good stuff and, you know, they, they want it to be awesome tasting food. But they, you know, they're not going to go in heaps of competitions. They just need to simplify it and not overdo overdo everything and do all these crazy different methods. Um, another general trap that both competitors and backyard people fall into is doing too much stuff, and then so they'll, they'll do all these different methods all at once, and then they'll cook it, and it won't quite be as good as they want. So then the next time they'll change heaps of stuff around. And, you know, maybe this is because I'm a little bit process-driven and I'm an engineer, but, like, any change that I would ever make, I'd only ever change one thing because I nearly treat it, you know, and obviously we've done comps and taken it serious at times, but I nearly treat each cook like a science experiment. And if there's something that I want to change or I think they could get better, I'll only ever change one variable at a time. If I change too many things, I don't know, it might come out awesome the next time, but I don't actually know what it was, you know, which thing I did different. So I always only ever change one thing. And then the most common, the most common misconception for barbecue competitors, I guess. Um, well, I'll quickly go back to, I might have slightly misheard your question, but the, the misconception, I guess, for yeah, people that are doing it at home is, it has to be really complicated, and it doesn't. So that's that's a big misconception. And the misconception for barbecue competitors is probably, oh, um, at times, the I guess the at times for the competitors, you need to remember you're cooking for judges and not yourself, and you nearly uh, one of the the top guys I trained under probably said it perfectly in terms of, you know, you're not necessarily trying to cook the best barbecue you can. You're trying to cook something that doesn't offend anyone. So <laughs> there might be certain tastes and flavors that you like, but you just got to remember that if they're polarizing at all, then you might get some people that like it and then some that don't. So you kind of, uh, yeah, you kind of need to remember. You, you don't want to basically set anyone off, you know, or, or do something that's polarizing. So we, we're we still fairly stubborn, and uh, I'm still pretty stubborn with my chicken hand in, which is probably why that's probably one of our lower-performing meats normally because I, like, I'm just determined that the way that I do chicken is is, uh, <laughs> is a way to, way to cook chicken over charcoal, but... Uh, yeah, there's, when we've done that, we uh, we haven't scored as well. And then when I'm just gone, right, I'm just going to cook what they're expecting and, you know, what everyone else is doing, that's when, you know, we've got uh, top finishes. So it's kind of – sometimes you need to nearly just be like, right, you know, I'm not the judge. I've got to 
you know. And I feel we still like pushing the envelope. We don't want to just have it kind of turn into American comps where everyone cooks nearly the same thing. But uh, yeah, you you've still got to do that with a grain of salt. I guess you've got to kind of remember that. Um, yeah, you don't want to do any flavors or cooking styles that are too polarizing that might throw people off. That, that's probably the super long answer to your question, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I doubt that you're alone on those uh, on those sort of thoughts. I'm um, I'm very much into uh, into presenting my own uh, different takes on recipes and things at competitions, and uh, you know I'd usually sort of fare around the middle of the pack. And it's exactly what you said. It's because it gets to the judges' table, and the judges are looking for X, Y, Z, and anything that's not X, Y, Z gets a gets a lower score. That doesn't doesn't necessarily mean it's not equally as delicious or equally as uh, you know tasty. Um, it's just it just doesn't fit into that into that rigid um, framework of of what is barbecue. And I think that's I think that's a bit of a dangerous point for us here in Australia in in our competition barbecue scene at the moment because we we've got an opportunity to really pave our own way here and if we if we stick to the established regimes of of what is you know real barbecue and what's not we're going to shackle ourselves basically. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, I agree and it's uh it's a tough one. I actually think, you know, most of the people that go well is they've, they've pushed the envelope outside what people are expecting, but it hasn't anyone off. And there's probably one or two dishes that we've done with that with and it's paid off. And they kind of, luckily enough, you know, we normally seem to finish top, top couple for those. And then, but then we've done it the same with other dishes and, yeah, it hasn't worked. If you get me, it's kind of um, they're they're not liking it because it's not what they're expecting, and it's not what they've been taught or whatever that is. But um, yeah, it's a, it is a tough one. It's sort of um, at times at comps when I was first starting and first day in the classes, and the comp uh, finishes were pretty important to us, you know, because I was like, well, if I'm going to teach people, I want to have the stuff to back it up, I guess. There, there were times where I kind of uh, handed in a little bit more towards what they were expecting than rather than what I wanted. Um, but then, yeah, after we got a couple of results under our belt, we sort of pushed the boundaries a bit now just because I kind of want to. And, yeah, exactly what you said. Like, I don't want us to turn into that um, that dangerous territory of where everyone's cooking the same thing. If we if we do go that way, then we're we're not going to get our our individual uh, regional profiles. You know, like Queensland's quite tropical. We've got you know pineapples and coconuts and all sorts of things like that. But if we can't cook with that in competitions, then we're not going to develop those individual regional flavour profiles, which is a real shame. It's a real wasted opportunity. Yeah, agreed. This is Grant from the Smoking Joint, and I listen to Smoking Hot Confessions. Well, mate, we're about to close out this episode, but the last question I'd like to ask you is, what would be the top three tips that you'd have for listeners out there thinking of putting together some classes of their own? Whoa. Um, whoa, Half questions on this. Probably, yeah, the first one, I guess, is just get very clear on uh, what you're going to provide and what your sort of point of difference is, I guess. Um the second would be to, yeah, I think most people would probably think about 
the barbecue aspect of it, but they'll um, you know probably think about just the actual business aspect of it. You know what I mean, and get a really good understanding of, of marketing and how you're going to promote it and how you're going to uh, get people there. And then thirdly. Yeah, I mean, just have fun with it, I guess. Um, make sure, you know, it's, uh, I think the, the great thing about doing the classes is that it's, it's enjoyable. So, uh, yeah, just make sure you have a good time with it. Awesome, mate. That is some great advice. Well, the studio is now yours. So please give some shout outs to whomever you'd like and make sure you let all the listeners know uh, where we can track you down on the internet. Yeah, no worries. Uh, ooh, shout out. Uh, Probably have to give a shout out to me, uh, the Cavanaghs down in Melbourne, uh, with the Q Club they've launched down there. I think it's, uh, pretty ballsy what they've done to, uh, to do that. And it's, uh, it's going awesome. It's a great little spot. It's a great idea. Um, so Pam Andrew and the rest of the team they got down there at the Natural Born Grillers. I'll give a big shout out to them. And then, um, oh, who else? Probably the Texas boys, I guess. I'll give a shout out to them. Uh, purely because Dale Braithway was uh, touring up here the other day and uh, made me think of those boys. They love Dale Braithway. If you ever near them at a comp, they will not shut up about Daryl. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that'll probably probably do us for the shout-outs, I guess. There's a bunch of other people, but, uh, yeah, I'm sure I'll see them around at the comps. And then, yeah, in terms of uh, if you want any stuff from us, uh, the easiest thing's just to grab us on Facebook. So just, yeah, Bully Barbecue's with an S on Facebook and uh, yeah, keep on barbecuing everyone out there. So that's Bully Barbecue with an S. So Bully Barbecues. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, mate, thank you so much for stopping by the confessional and spending the, uh, spending the time with us here today. I've really appreciated that time and I look forward to seeing where Bully Barbecue is going in the future. Yeah, no, is it all, man? It's, uh, it's awesome what you're doing here. It's uh, good to be a part of it and I look forward to, Seeing what you're doing in the future as well, mate. Thank you. Well, family, how good was that? Ricky was really brave quitting an engineering job and going for it the way he did. But when you know, you know. He obviously really knows his stuff and has quite literally built a business around the lifestyle that he wanted to live. He really is living the dream. Make sure you follow him on all the socials at Bully Barbecues. That's B-U-L-L-Y-B-B-Q-S. Coming up next Thursday, I'll be sitting down for a good yarn with Cameron from the incredible barbecue retail store, Barbecue Spit Rotisseries. With a 12-year history, Barbecue Spit Rotisseries manufactures an innovative and affordable product range. If running a barbecue shop is what you dream of at night, you got to catch this one. Big thanks and much gratitude go out to this episode's sponsors, Harvey's Kitchen, Clean Heat Charcoal, and Jagged Wood-Fired Smoker Ovens. Their support makes this project possible. I've put their links in the episode description, so please click on through to their sites to claim those awesome offers for you loyal Smoking Hot Confessions listeners. If you have a message you'd like to get out in front of a barbecue mad audience, send me an email directly at ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. Shoutouts also have to go to those who called in and left questions for Ricky. Benton, Wal, Josh, Nigel, Bree, John and Matt. It was awesome to find out what was on your mind and I know Ricky had a great time answering them. If you'd like more, I have published a free ebook just for you. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com/ebooks to get your copy now. I've put a link in the description. 
Also, head on over to Facebook and join the Smoking Hot Confessions community, and let's continue the conversation. It's a group dedicated to teaching, learning, and sharing all about barbecue, and all the BS is left at the door. Everybody has a place in the Smoking Hot Confessions community. Finally, however you listen to this episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a review. This way, the episodes will be delivered to more people's devices than a certain president's ill-conceived tweets. Until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions. <laughs>